0: Coming to you from Classic City,
2: the capital of the
0: Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts,
2: Tyler and Charlie.
0: What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our good friends at MyBookie, where you can still today create a brand new account at mybookie.ag and use the promo code UGA to double your very first deposit, bet anything, anytime, anywhere, with my bookie. I am Tyler, and back with me today for our bye week mailbag is my co-host Charlie. Yes, guys, I know it's the bye week, but as I told you guys on the recap episode, that does not mean that we are taking any time off here on this podcast because we know you guys need that football fix, taken care of, and we are here to do exactly that. But Charlie, your beloved bye week, it is here. I know you love college football. But I also know that you love a good bye week. Honestly, I was not even sure that you would show up today. So do you have any big plans this weekend?
1: No big plans. Just relax and watch some football.
0: And that's 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 a good plan. I like that plan. But you always talk about how you need the bye week. Is that what is that what you mean by that? Like you just need time to like just rest up, recuperate from the season?
1: Yes, relax. Do nothing. Watch I know. football.
0: Like, we love college football season. We love going to all these George games, but it is a bit of a grind, you know, especially going to Missouri this like year. Like a job, um, yeah. Especially when you run a podcast, you got four episodes a week for a podcast. You go to all the games, and that's all you think about. Yeah, it's it almost is like an extra full time job during the season. But we love it; not complaining. Absolutely love it. But I'm excited for you that you get your your bye week. I, I'm I'm not gonna lie, I I could use a bye week to Just kind of have a stress free weekend. I know that obviously the Vanderbilt weekend was pretty stress free for the most part. But to not even have to worry about us possibly losing a game because that is. The biggest anxiety in my life that's a that that can be a good thing but you are here i appreciate it i know that the bye week is something that you cherish and look forward to so I, I appreciate you actually showing up today but i know we got a bunch of questions to get today and we had a lot of questions i wasn't sure that we would get as many with it being the bye week and whatnot but we got quite a few
1: there are a lot the first two questions today are packaged together because they both specifically relate to the bye week and how the dogs can improve during that time so for the first question, it's from Jeffrey. Now, do you want me to read both of them? Yeah, go ahead
0: and All read right. them both. They're both the same, based the so, same idea? Yeah. Yeah, Room them together.
1: Jeffrey asks, what are your two biggest concerns heading into the bye week, and what can we do to improve upon them over the next two weeks? And Christopher asks, how will UGA spend the bye week?
0: Yeah, these are two good questions. Uh, how will we spend the bye week? I'm going to take Christopher's question first. As Kirby would tell you, we are going to spend the bye week getting healthy, number one, and then working on ourselves kirby will say that till he's blue in the face and trust me guys he means that we are not really going to do now the coaches behind the scenes will be working on some some stuff for upcoming opponents that is certainly happening but the players themselves at practice we are not prepping for those teams right now we are basically going back to like fall camp spring practice that's that's kind of what by, the bye week is and then we have, we'll have about two two and a half days at the end of the week where like just no one comes in the building no one works out I mean, come, out, come in and work out if they want to, but there's no film work, there's no meetings, there's no practice. It's kind of just time for you to get your head right and get ready for that stretch run. So that's what we're going to do during the bye week. Now, in terms of what Jeffrey was asking, what are my biggest concerns heading into this bye week and what can we do to, what, to improve on them? Well, I, I've been pretty clear on this. I mean, I mentioned, I think I mentioned both of these on the recap episode yesterday. Also, when we did our um, midseason report card for the back half of that episode, there's two things. I'm going to give you one for each side of the ball. And on offense, I know I talked about this on the recap episode. I know I talk about a lot of things each week, four episodes a week, so sometimes I lose track of what I talk about on any given episode. But I'm almost 100% positive I talked about this a little bit on the recap episode. But I'll mention it here again for those of you who might have missed that. We have got to get the vertical passing game going. And I know I'm not alone in saying this because we get a lot of questions about this each and every week, at least so far during this season. And I, I think that we are starting to do the things that we need to do in order to get the vertical passing game going. Because if you think back to last year, and this is why I wasn't overly concerned the first couple games this season with us not really trying to push the ball vertically down the field, because I've seen us do that. We were one of the most explosive offenses in the entire country last year. Not just the SEC, but the entire country. Stetson Bennett led the SEC, the entire league, in yards per pass attempt. We have done that we haven't done it this year we've done it with this personnel we just haven't done it this year and the crazy thing is i actually think we're better offensively i think we have better talent to work with the guys that were our biggest playmakers last year whether it was brock bowers obviously ad mitchell those guys are back you are a year older you're more experienced the problem is we haven't been fully healthy there whether it's obviously ad missing most of the year he got hurt in the first series of the sanford game and tried to come back a little bit against Auburn, played a couple of snaps, I think maybe two snaps against Auburn, and, and wasn't able to really finish that game, and obviously did not play against Vanderbilt. He's basically been a non-factor all year. Arian Smith is a guy that I had a lot of expectations and hopes for, As a guy that could really be a receiver that could take the top off the defense and maybe give us something that no one else on the roster could with that like elite-level track speed. But obviously, he got hurt once again in fall camp. He's back. He's been back since the Missouri game. But he's still working himself back into playing shape. And he missed so much like developmental time that kind of just set back his development. So those have been some of the issues. And we also didn't get the running game going the first part of the season, not, not to the degree that we needed to. And I think you started to see this after that Missouri game. Uh, obviously, it's all where we ran for almost 300 yards. And we ran the ball well again, over five yards per carry against Vanderbilt. But the key for us to hit those explosive pl- plays in the passing game is to get the run game going. I know that might sound counterintuitive, but that's how we were able to generate those plays last year. We didn't throw the ball nearly as much as we did l- this year. We-, we absolutely did not. But actually, we're-, we're still throwing the ball more than we're running the ball this year, which is a major divergence from what we've been doing under Kirby Smart since he got here back in 2016. But for us to be able to hit the ball vertically down the field with this offense, because Stetson Bennett I think Stetson's very good. Some of you don't, that's fine. You, I mean we've hashed that out. You guys can believe what you want to believe. That's totally fine. I'm not here to tell you otherwise or to tell you what I believe. Stetson's a good player, but Stetson operates better in the play action passing game. He just does. Like going back to even 2020, he's most effective throwing the ball, especially down the field off of play action. And go back to the Missouri game. We were relying on almost an exclusive drop back pass game in that in, in that first half. Nine rushes in the first half, guys that's I mean Stetson is a better drop back passer than he was last year and than he was in 2020 obviously but he's still much better working off of play action running the pocket moving the the, the launching point all of those things and for us to do that we need to get the run game going we to be more committed to it and I think you started to go, see us go back to those basics to our roots over the past two weeks and now we still haven't hit those vertical shots they were there against Auburn and Stetson Missed one to Bowers uh, up the sideline right before half. And the one to Ladd, I think he threw a little too far out in front of him. I think maybe Ladd could have pulled that one. He got his fingers on it, but still... Stetson probably needs to underthrow that more and put it out there. But Stetson has hit those throws, and those throws are going to be there. We've just got to execute, and we've got to, we've got to just capitalize on them and take advantage of those opportunities when they're there. I think A.D. Mitchell coming back will help. Hopefully, Arian Smith will develop a little bit more and get more comfortable, get back more in playing shape over the bye week, and uh, he can factor into that as well. But the bottom line is, like with, with those guys not being healthy, we haven't been able to get enough separation consistently. And we've had opportunities. Stetson hasn't hit them consistently like he did last year for the most part. And uh, we, had, we didn't get the run game going. We weren't really working play action as much. We were relying so much on the screen game, the quick passing game. But I think you're starting to see us go back to basics there. Defensively, I, this is another one I know I mentioned on the uh, the recap episode, because this is one of the things we were talking about when we were doing the midseason report card. We've got to enhance the pass rush, guys. And I this one, I don't know. I, I don't know what we can do to improve on this right now, because we have the players that we have. We don't have Channing Tindall rushing the pass from the linebacker position. We don't have Quay Walker and Dean doing the same thing. We don't have Devontae Wyatt giving us an interior pass rush. We don't have Trayvon Walker. I love Michael Williams, but he's not Trayvon Walker right now. He's not the number one draft pick in, in the NFL right now. He's just not. Jalen Carter coming back would help this. So that's the one thing. If he, basically, if the answer to this question, how do we improve that? Jalen Carter needs to get healthy because he's the best pure pass rusher on the team. Sure, there are some things that we can do schematically to try to free some guys up, but the bottom line is our, our linebackers are good pass rushers, but they're not as good guys as we had last year, and they're not magically going to become that this year. Nolan Smith is still the same guy; he's a fantastic player, but he's not a dominant pass rusher. Robert Beal still the same guy. Yeah, less than sacks last year, but he's not a dynamic athlete. He's not that kind of pass rusher. He's an effort guy more than anything, and I love that about him. He's a very viable player for us, but he's not magically just going to become a more dynamic athlete. That's not going to happen. So, if anything, we can try to work on some things schematically. Getting Jalen Carter healthy would be the biggest thing here for us. But yeah, definitely a vertical passing game on offense is my biggest concern there on that side of the ball, and then pass rush on defense. Guys, we are, still, we are dead last in the SEC in sacks, and 119th nationally in sack rate. That ain't good enough against some of these teams coming up on our schedule. We've got to find a way to get more pressure. And we're doing a decent job of affecting the quarterbacks. Not, as Kirby always say, it's not always about sacks themselves. You've got to affect the quarterback. And we've done a good job of that, but at some point, we've got to be more consistent and more productive rushing the passer.
1: Okay, well, as you might imagine, we did not get a ton of questions specifically about the Vandy game. So huh, you surprised. don't say. But there were a few, so we'll go there next. First up, Guy asks, did we learn anything about our team this week? Any specifics you can give us? That's a
0: tough one. Like, It's almost like I, I know Vandy is, I mean, <laughs> ostensibly they're a, a Power 5 team, but a Power 5 team really essentially in, in name only it's almost like playing a Sanford. It's like, what what do you learn when you play a team like that that just has no chance to beat you, that can't threaten you in any way? You kind of feel bad for them. We talked about that a little bit last week. You know, I kind of felt bad for Vandy coming into that game. But it's hard to say that I learned much about this team that we didn't already know. I guess I I got some further reinforcement that we looks like we are committed to getting the run game going. We did not run the ball as as much or as well as we did against Auburn, but we ran the ball more than we had, especially against like Missouri and maybe even Kent State. And you started to see some more success there. So I think we are more committed to the run game going. You see Branson Robinson was in there and to start the second series of the game. So it looks like we learned that, that he is. You know, you saw the Auburn game. Was that just like, a, okay, Kendall Milton got hurt kind of thing? And I know Kendall didn't play in this game, but I mean, Branson coming out there to open the second drive, I mean, that spoke volumes about us having faith in him and uh, him being a big part of this offense moving forward. So maybe we, we learned that. I think maybe also we mentioned this on the recap episode, but – I keep saying it, guys, and I'm going to keep saying it. I'm going to keep screaming it. I know no one listens to me. I know no one that matters in butt's ever hears what I say because that's fine. They shouldn't. But Darnell, Darnell Washington is a problem if we use him in the passing game. We know Brock Bowers is is elite. We know what that guy is. I'm not saying don't throw the ball to Brock. Throw the ball to Brock. But when we have had so many issues at receiver in creating consistent separation, and we've had injuries to guys like A.D. Mitchell and Arian Smith, and Ladd McConkie's been banged up, I, and we had this incredible tight end room. I just, and I love Todd Munkin. I really, really, really do. And I know Darnell gives us so much in the in the run blocking game. That's hard to to take him away from that, and even just pass protection at times. But this guy continues to show what a weapon he is in the passing game. And I just don't understand if we don't have the receivers right now that are consistently making those plays. Why are we not leaning more on our tight ends? And I, I say tight ends plural, not just Brock. Sometimes we get into the habit of like trying to force feed Brock, and we should force feed Brock. He, need, he needs more touches if that's even possible. But we also need more touches for Darnell Washington because when the guy gets opportunities, it's kind of like Dejan Edwards. All the guy does is produce, all he does is produce. And I think we need to feed him more because he's a matchup nightmare, just like Brock. It's a different way, but a matchup nightmare nonetheless. And I think that we, again, I, I knew that, but I think he got further reinforcement with his biggest game as a receiver, as a receiving threat against Vanderbilt this past weekend.
1: Okay, during the Vandy game, Patrick noticed that we had Stetson working from under center more and running the ball from that formation. So with that in mind, he wants to know, do you guys think we see more of that moving forward this season? And what message is Kirby or Munkin trying to send here with showing that formation?
0: Yeah, that's a great question, Patrick. I definitely picked up on that. We were, now we didn't operate exclusively under center, we never have, But we were working more under center in this game against Vanderbilt than I had really seen us do. I haven't gone back and kind of... I need to go back and watch it one more time. And on that rewatch, I'll go and try to calculate that and count that for you guys and maybe bring that to you next week. But just, you know, with my naked eye on the first rewatch, yes, it just certainly did appear. I did notice that we were working... seemed to be working more from under center in the run game than we had previously this season. And I don't know if that's so much about sending a message as it is really... I guess maybe it's a form of sending a message, but I think it's more about showing... Different looks to teams that we're going to be playing down the stretch saying, Hey, you got prepared for this too. I think it's partly that, sure, but I also go back to what I was saying earlier about working the play action game. I think that Stetson is more, as I said, more effective throwing the ball vertically down the field off of play action. And the best way to do that is to operate play action from under center. So I think what you're seeing is what I was kind of talking about after the Auburn game. I think what you saw in the Auburn game was a rebirth, a reawakening and a realization that, hey, this is who we were last year and we were an extraordinarily efficient and explosive offense and we just have better players this year or more weapons to work with offensively, guys that are healthy, guys that are a year older and more able to contribute. So why do we need to kind of look exactly like we looked like against Oregon? I know we put up a ton of yards, what, 9.2 yards per play in that game, but I don't know how sustainable that was working the screen game, the short passing game, getting guys out in space. Because that, that was really more a function in my opinion of like Oregon just not being prepared for that. They had not seen that. They had no idea that we were gonna come out in that and they had trouble adjusting in-game. We just had better players, better athletes. But as more tickets out there, teams can prepare for that. You've seen teams start taking away our screen games. They're they're recognizing, they see our tendencies now, they see formation, they see personnel, they see all of the motions, all of those things, and they can they can prepare for that. So I don't know if it's sustainable for your offense to be built off of that. So but it doesn't have to be. I think the realization was made after the Missouri game is like Okay, let's kind of go back to the drawing board here. We struggled to beat this Missouri team that we're way better than, so how can we fix things? And I think the answer is, let's go back and, and do what we did last year as our base offense, run the football work play action off of that, and then work in the screen. Don't abandon the screen game. It's been very effective for us, but use that as a complement to what we did last year to make us even more dangerous. Because if we were as effective, as efficient, as explosive as we were offensively last year against Detzim Minute led the league in yards per attempt, guys, Why can't we do that again this year and be even better at it with more playmakers to work with offensively, more guys healthy, guys a year older? So I I think that's part of it also. Yes, you want to make teams prepare for more things, but also I think it's just about us. And I think this could be a sign of what we are trying to be moving forward down the stretch of this 2022 football season.
1: Okay, well, the Stetson questions started in earnest after, after the Missouri game, and they don't look to be letting up anytime soon. Art says that Carson Beck looks like the real deal. There's a better downfield passing attack with him in the game. And Stetson has the wheels, but not the arm. He knows Kirby won't do it, but what do you think about switching out Stetson for Carson Beck?
0: All right. So, Art, I, I 100% appreciate the question. I appreciate you listening to this podcast. I know you've been a long-time listener, buddy, and, and we are incredibly grateful for that. And I, I, I'm not going to sit here and say I don't understand where you're coming from because Carson Beck looked fantastic. You're exactly right. Carson Beck looked amazing and I'm really excited that he looked as good as strong as effective as confident as he did in that game and, and I mean this with all due respect my friend I really really do I'm, I'm not trying to bash anyone here but I, I'm kind of I'm kind of into psychology and there's a term for this I'm sure a lot of you are probably familiar with this I I think this might be an example and look I, I know you and I haven't talked art so I, I mean this is pure speculation I, I don't know but and it's not even just this. This is what I hear from a lot of Georgia fans when it comes to Stetson Bennett and and kind of, I don't, I'm not saying you're bashing him, but I don't know, um, kind of criticizing Stetson. I think a lot of it is confirmation bias. I really do. It's, if you're not familiar with confirmation bias, again, I know a lot of you are, but if you're not, it basically means like you see what you want to see. Like you ignore what you don't want to see or what challenges your deeply held beliefs. And I think that some people just have like deeply held beliefs that Stetson Bennett is a certain way. You view him a certain way. And no matter what he does, you're just not going to see that. And when something bad happens, you kind of pounce on it as evidence to support what you already previously believed about him so deeply and so strongly. I think there's absolutely zero chance this happens. As you said, you know, Kirby's not going to do this. There's zero chance. Like, can we go less than zero, Charlie? Can there be a negative chance this happens? Sure. We'll go with that negative chance. Negative whatever. It's just, there's zero zilch, nada, no chance that this is going to happen. And I... I think the notion that Stetson's arm strength is somehow deficient. I, I, I'm sorry, guys. I think that's just a fallacy. I've said that several times. I, and that's just me. You guys can disagree. I'm not saying that I'm the be-all, end-all, and what I think is is the answer, is the truth. I, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just, I'm giving you my opinion. We have a podcast here, and you guys listening, as you want to get my take on things, and and that's what I'm trying to give you. I'm trying to give you, give you my objective take. And I just think that this, this idea that Stetson's arm strength is is deficient. It's just. It's not true. It's just not. I, I just—it's not supported by evidence. I mean, I'll give you a couple examples off the top of my head here, real quick. So the was it the first third down, third and long in the first quarter against Vanderbilt on Saturday. And that dig route he threw to Marcus Roseme, guys, I mean, that was a BB. That was a laser shot, okay? Stetson Bennett has plenty of arm strength. Another example would be the, the I know he missed the, what I called a layup, but I think an easy touchdown pass to Brock Bowers before the half against Auburn with a little, over, a little over a minute to go. But he came back that same drive. I think it was the very next play on second down, actually where he threw the ball. It looked like he threw it into like maybe double coverage, but it wasn't exactly double coverage. We fit the ball in like an incredible spot into a very tight window. And again, it was a BB, guys. I mean, it was an absolutely laser shot right there. I think Brock probably should have caught the ball, to be honest. I think it was a really good ball placement. And he just fit that into a very, very tight window. That's just two small examples off the top of my head. Stetson's arm strength is not a problem. It never has been a problem when he wasn't injured. So I, I just don't buy into that. And then you mentioned the wheels that you say yes so so you think that well uh, Carson has a better arm which he might have a better arm but that doesn't mean Stetson doesn't have a good enough arm or a good arm Stetson has a very good arm and but you also mentioned that he has the wheels and I think the wheels are critical I don't think you can downplay that I really don't I mean I'm gonna use the Tennessee Alabama game for example here what did Tennessee do to Bryce Young in that game well they pressured the holy hell out of him they were bringing five and six guys on a regular basis, almost a down-by-down basis in that game. They had Bryce Young running for his life. If it was not for Bryce Young's ability to escape the pressure and create on the move, there was no way Alabama was going to fight back from, what was it, 17, 18-point deficit and maybe an 18-point deficit. I mean, Bryce Young's ability to escape single-handedly almost brought them back and kept them in that game. And if I'm predicting right now, and we've got a couple weeks to see how this plays out... I think especially what Missouri was able to do to us defensively, I think there's a strong chance that Tennessee tries to defend us the same way because they know they don't have the talent on defense. So if you don't have the talent, well, how do you mitigate that? Well, you just try to dial up the pressure and get to the quarterback and create havoc, and that's what they did to Alabama, and I'm pretty sure they're going to have a very similar game plan when they play us here in, in Athens in a couple of weeks. And if if we substitute Carson Beck in the game right now for Stetson Bennett, we say, all right, Stetson, you know what? We're going with Beck. He played great against Vandy and garbage time. We're going to go with Carson Beck. Well, Beck has zero chance in that situation if Tennessee tries to pressure us the way that they try to pressure Alabama. Zero chance. There's no way he's gonna escape that pressure. He's a sitting duck, and he and we are gonna have we might score two touchdowns, maybe, against that defense if we go if we go with Carson Beck. And we know like as good as our defense is, Tennessee's probably gonna score more than two touchdowns. I don't wanna say that, but it's I mean, they're really good guys, and that's probably gonna happen. So we're gonna have to score them. And with Carson Beck back there, and it is I don't say lack of mobility. He's mobile. He's mobile-ish. Like he's not a a statue back there, but he's not mobile enough. Not the way that Stetson is. And then if you go back to the arm talent, if you want to say that Carson Beck has better arm talent, that's okay. I'll allow that. Let's just say, for argument's sake, that I allow that. But the very least, I, I think it's close. I don't think there's a big gap between the arm talent, the arm strength between Carson Beck and Stetson Bennett. But the disparity in mobility in my opinion, is just incredibly stark. It's incredibly significant. And for that reason alone, I would go with Stetson. I, mean, that, that I know Kirby kept saying that last year when we were talking about JT Daniels and him getting back in the, in the conversation in the quarterback job. And people were like, oh, come on, that can't be it. But no, guys, like it, it, it was it. Like, that was the deciding factor. I think it's going to be the deciding factor here in this. I mean, if you want to call it a competition, in, in this decision as well. And if you're talking about throwing Beck in there right now, guys, we're talking about throwing a guy in there as our starting quarterback in this stretch run against the best teams on our schedule, namely Tennessee and Mississippi State, who both have, you know, not stellar defense. Mississippi State's defense is good. Tennessee's is not great, but still you're going to throw a quarterback in the stretch run against the best teams on our schedule after he's never taken a single meaningful snap in his entire collegiate life? I'm sorry, but no thank you. No thank you. There's no chance it's going to happen barring injury, and I do not want that to happen. Now, saying all of that, I I know it sounds like I'm bashing Carson Beck to build up Stetson Bennett. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to compare the two and tell you why I think Stetson's still the answer right now. He's still the guy at quarterback. But let me also say that I firmly believe that we are very, very, very lucky to have Carson Beck on this roster. I mean, in this day and age of having guys enter the transfer portal when they don't get that immediate gratification, especially the quarterback position of starting right away, and they just leave – We are very lucky to have this guy stick around for three years and and wait his turn if that ends up being how it goes down next year. Like, we are extraordinarily lucky because talking about backups, I mean, he might be the best backup in the SEC, like the most prepared backup to come in and play right now. I mean, I I mean that. I mean, I think very highly of Carson Beck. I was a big cheerleader of his coming out of high school. I love what he was able to do. He moved to high schools. Um, His, I think it was his junior, going into his junior year, and he took a team that had basically no success whatsoever and took them to the state title. That's a um, that's a winner right there, and I, I think he played baseball most of his high school career. And he was what well, didn't start quarterback, playing quarterback to like halfway through his senior or his sophomore year before he actually took over as a starter. And the guy's progressed a lot, and he's a really talented player. He does have good arm strength and good arm talent. You're exactly right about that. I'm very high on him. I just think Stetson right now with mobility, with well, I think is good arm talent and also the experience that Stetson brings to the table. I think he is still the answer. But it doesn't mean Carson Beck's not good. You are right about that. But I think. In my mind, clearly Stetson Bennett is still the answer the rest of the way. Can we do a quick break, Charlie? Sure. All right. So real quick, guys, my bookie—you guys know the drill. My bookie is the best sports book site out there for all you sports betters in the state of Georgia and really anywhere, but especially the state of Georgia. And they have agreed to extend our promotional deal all the way through the rest of the season. It's so simple for you guys. All you gotta do is go to mybookie.ag, sign up for a new account, and use the promo code UGA when you do so, and boom, bam, boom. In what a minute, 60 seconds, 30 seconds, depending on how fast you type, you are in, and as soon as you deposit that that first amount of money whatever it is that you put in there they are going to double it guys like no strings attached i mean that's that's the deal guys it's an awesome deal for you guys so take advantage of it while you still can we're trying to give you winners each and every week we are having a, a good year guys a good year all things considered we want to help put some money in your pocket so help yourself out by signing up for an account at mybookie.ag today bet anything anytime anywhere with my bookie
2: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.
1: All right, well, we have one more question on the Stetson Bennett topic. Jonathan wants to know Do you think he will stay for one more year? Or which quarterback transfers next year? All right,
0: Charlie, help me out with this, okay? I'm I'm not a smart man. I'm not good with numbers. You guys know this. I'm open about that. So help me out here. So Charlie, Stetson Bennett was a freshman in 2017, right? Yes. When he was mimicking ba- um Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield leading into the Rose Bowl, right? Mm-hmm. He was a freshman. So 2017. Let me do the math here. 2017. That's one year, right? 2018. That's two years. 2019 is three. 2020 is four. 2021 is five, 2022 makes six, right? Yes. So he one of those years is a redshirt year, right? That gives you a fifth year. The sixth year is the COVID year, right? Yeah. So that gives him that extra sixth year. I could be totally wrong, and guys, if some if one of you out there knows how I'm wrong and why I'm wrong, please DM me, tweet me, email me, correct me here. I don't think he has another year, like barring injury. And I, I but it's, it's and too I late think, for the injury.
1: I think if he even was eligible, I don't think he would stay another year. He's
0: twenty five. Um, I think he might. If he could, I think he might. Because I mean, I think Stetson could get a tryout for NFL team. I think I think he maybe make a maybe make a roster. I don't know. We'll see. But I mean, Charlie, you know he's living the life right now. I mean, this is this was his dream growing up, and now he's finally got it. I think he might extend it a little bit longer. I don't know, like law school or NFL, whatever awaits him next in the next chapter of his life. I think he he would maybe put that off for another year. I just don't think he has another year. I could be wrong there. I could be wrong. Um, but let's just say for argument's sake that he does have another year. Again, help me out here, guys, if I'm missing something. I don't think I am, but I could be. I, I, it's certainly possible. I miss a lot of things. But let's just say for argument's sake he comes back. I mean, I, I think Carson Beck is gone. And brought Vandengrift would be up in the air. I think he might stick around and hang out for that battle with – with Gunnar Stockton and, and Ryan Puglisi, now the guy that just committed is the 2023 guy they've got coming in, or 2024 guy. I'm sorry, I should say 2024. Um, yeah, I think Beck would probably be gone almost. And I, guys, I thought Beck was gone after last year, so I think we're very fortunate he stayed this year. And I think he did that with the idea that hey, you know, 2023 is going to be my year. And we'll see how that battle plays out. But if he does, if Setson comes back, which I don't think he can, but if he does some way somehow, then I think Carson's as good as gone. I don't think he's going to wait another year. Uh, Vandegrift will be up in the air. I think Stockton stays. But let, let's say that Stetson is gone for this year. I think all three guys stay at least through spring practice, and they kind of see how things shake out during spring practice. And if, if Beck feels like he's getting passed up by Vandegrift, then he's probably gone. If Vandegrift thinks that Beck is going to be the clear guy, or if he thinks that Stockton's going to be the clear guy, I think he's probably gone too. I think a lot will depend on how things shake out during spring practice. But it's kind of hard. Like You know, coaches know these things, and they don't like to – make anything definitive or clear during spring practice when it comes to quarterbacks. So they want all those guys to be around for fall camp. And once you get to fall camp, and you usually don't announce the guy, announce a name as a starter until like the week before the game or the week of the first game. And by then it's like, okay, well, now there's not really enough time to the transfer portal. I guess you can still enter the portal just out of spite or whatever. It's fine. Or you want to go ahead and get to your new program so you don't waste more time. But, I mean, there's a chance they're all three on the roster depending on how Kirby handles it. But it just kind of depends on how that plays out. It'll be interesting to watch next year, though. That's certainly going to be one big question we have all offseason long.
1: All right, next up, Jamie asks about a player who doesn't generate much discussion. He wants to know your take on Marcus Rosemey-Jack Saints' play so far this season.
0: Oh, man, great question. You're right, Charlie. We don't get enough talk about Marcus Rosemey-Jack Saints because he's not a big-time like you know receiver in terms of putting up numbers. You're not put, he doesn't put up big you know, pass-catching numbers, and I get that. That's what we want receivers to do, and that's what you look at, and that's what gets guys' attention. But, man, Jamie, I, I'm glad you brought him up because I love me some Marcus Roseme Jack Saint. This guy is the ultimate team player. He does not get a ton of opportunities in the passing game. He really doesn't. But he still does not care. He's a ferocious perimeter blocker. There are a lot of receivers out there that if they're not getting the football, what do they do? They, they pull the Diva wide receiver thing, right? And they just don't care. Like There's a guy for the Panthers, Robbie Anderson, I want to say was his name who um, doesn't feel like he's getting the touches he wants and he basically just like quit on his team in the middle of the game on Sunday and now they traded him today like one day later the coach saw Steve Wilkes, in the locker room and then they trade him one day later that's the diva wide receiver I mean that's the classic example of that and Rosemary Jackson could be that guy because he doesn't get a ton of opportunities in the passing game and he wants to of course every receiver does but he does not let that affect his play out there in terms of doing the dirty work and going out there and again being that ferocious blocker on the perimeter it doesn't mean he's a perfect blocker, like. He, he misses some guys here and there, but everybody does, guys. Everybody makes mistakes. Even Brock Bowers, even Darnell Washington misses guys from time to time out there on the perimeter. But man, like he he wants it. He wants to work. He he takes pride in that and he does that for his team. So I love him. As a receiver, though, I mean, to be honest here, hasn't been able to consistently create separation against man coverage. And really none of our guys have. I mean, Ladd at times has, but he hasn't been fully healthy. I mean, it, I will say for Rosemary Jackson, like he's still a youngish player. I know he technically is his third year, but you remember in 2020 as a true freshman, he was starting to come on, and like he had that touchdown catch against Florida, and then his leg fell off, and it took. I mean, that was a brutal injury, guys, I and mean, that was a tough injury. Now he came back and played last year, but he was not a hundred percent last year. He's probably hundred percent fit. He looks hundred percent physically now, but you lose a lot of developmental time there. And I think that factors into things as well. So, And he's still improving, getting better. The more he plays, the more he's going to make some plays. He made some nice plays for us against Vanderbilt. Um, I still want to see him create more consistent separation against man coverage as a route runner. I think he's a good athlete. Now He's he's not like an an elite speed guy, but he's got good speed. He's a good athlete. I think he's got some strong hands. He's got a physical body out there. Um, But he just needs to learn ways to create separation against man coverage like a lot of our receivers do. But he's still been a very, very, very valuable player for us. and And I love the guy.
1: All right, well, we know we've all been hearing about the number of injuries uh, to key players over the past month or so. And Jay Lee wonders, which injured players do you expect to be healthy by the Georgia Florida game?
0: Well, I think AD is going to be back. I feel pretty strongly about that. I mean, he wanted to go in and play last week. He did play some against Auburn. He wasn't, you know, when you saw him out there running routes, like he wasn't 100%. But you give him another three weeks to rest, he should be good to go. Now, is there going to be a rust factor? probably which sucks but I mean hey I still would rather have the guy out there he, he have enough muscle memory to go out there and make some plays so I think he'll be back Smile Mondin's the guy I, I just don't know how severe the ankle injury is I know he he went out in the Missouri game and then came back in and kind of played on adrenaline there but he hasn't played the last two weeks and he'll get another week here so you're looking at maybe a four week a month there to get ready just depends on the severity of the ankle injury but it from what I understand, it's not as severe as AD's was or, or Aaron Smith's injury was. So I hope and I think that he'll be back for the Georgia-Florida game. As far as Tresman and Marshall goes, I don't know 100% there. I'm not even 100% sure what that injury is. Kirby hasn't been super upfront about that. And he hasn't really been asked about Tresman as much as he's not a starter. But, I mean, he's our number three inside linebacker, and uh, I would like to get him back. I thought he was doing some good things for us before the injury, and he tried to come in, in the Missouri game. He was hurt in that game. He tried to come in and play when Smile went out for a couple of series, and you could see he was laboring to move. So I don't know if his is a knee, an ankle. I don't know what it is. Uh, I hope somebody in the, in the the on the beat asked him about that because I would love to know more information there. I, I would like to think Tresman's back. I just don't know. I know the big one is Jalen Carter. And, guys, I don't know, man. I, I really do not know. With Jalen, I mean – I hate to say this. I know he's a team guy and he loves his team. He wants to get out there and play. He's a competitor. But you know he's gonna have agents whispering in his ear, like, hey man, like, do you really want to risk this? You're a first-round guy, like, no questions asked. Like, do you really want to come back and risk another injury? I mean, we're talking like that that cheap shot by Missouri guys, I still am not over that. I am I still want that guy suspended, like, retroactively. I want him suspended. Because I mean, it, depending on I don't think it was not ACL. You know, Kirby said it was MCL, but that could potentially have potentially been like a cheap shot that cost Jalen millions of dollars like it easily could have been it wasn't that it doesn't appear it's going to be that but it easily could have been and like that's just unacceptable that can't be allowed to happen it was a hundred percent a cheap shot no questions asked he didn't take the three steps you usually take on a on a on a on a block like that it's like one and a half and then like just dive at someone's knees I mean that's was just completely uncalled for and, and entirely intentional you could not convince me otherwise but with a knee, you just don't know. And he's a big guy. Big guys, you just don't know with the knees. I would love to think that he's back for Florida. But honestly, I'd rather be back for Tennessee. If we need to take the four game off, I mean, Florida's going to run the football. They, that's what they want to do, and we can certainly use Jalen Carter. But I think we, hopefully we can manage it, hopefully without him. Hopefully we don't have to find out, but hopefully we could. But we need him for Tennessee because he is our best pass rusher, and we need that pass rush from the interior. That's one thing that Hooker really struggles with is that interior pass rush, and Jalen can give us that. So I don't know, man. We'll see. But... That one's more up in the air than the other ones, I think.
1: Okay, so you hinted at this. Hayward wants your take on which injured player is most critical to get back on the field ASAP. Would that be Jalen Carter?
0: Oh uh, Yeah, Charlie, 100% Jalen Carter. I mean, um, with a nod to A.D. Mitchell, I mean, what I what'd I say? The two biggest concerns I have are vertical passing game and pass rush right now, right? Well, A.D. helps with the vertical passing game. He helps solve some of the, my biggest concern offensively. And I, I, he's not going to completely solve it, but then Jalen Carter defensively, again it's not going to completely solve our pass rush issues but he certainly helps because I think he's our best pass rusher on the entire team and getting him back would, would go a long way to fixing that he's just he's the best player probably on the entire team I mean he is at this point we have some really good players have like Brock Bowers Malachi Starks we have some Broderick um, Jones we have some really good players guys but Jalen I mean right now the way you know at this level of his career his point in his career he's the best player on the team So it's got to be 100% Jalen Carter. He's the most critical guy, and we have good interior defense environment. They're playing at a really high level right now, but none of them are elite. Jalen Carter is that. He is that, and when we're getting ready to go against the best teams on our schedule, you need every elite player you can possibly muster, and we need him back. So he's 100% number one for me.
1: Well, since it is the bye week, that's always a good time to check in on recruiting and Zach wants to know what your thoughts are about Ryan Pugl-
0: Puglisi. Puglisi. At least that's how well, I'm. Until I hear someone say it, I'm going with Puglisi.
1: I, I had it in my brain, I just couldn't make it come out. And then Roderick Robinson also.
0: Yeah, Puglisi, guys. I know he's a three star and people don't get excited about three stars. But I, I tweeted this out, guys. Go watch the tape, put the tape on, and judge for yourself. Do not be a stargazer, do not be that guy. I understand that sometimes stars are very accurate, but at this stage, I mean, this guy, he's a junior right now. There's going to be a lot of movement in the rankings. Just trust me on that. And Puglisi, when you put on the tape, is the real deal. He's a big dude, 6'3", about 200, 205 pounds. He's got good mobility. He's got a big arm. He's an accurate passer. I will say, in, in you know, to be completely objective here, he plays in Connecticut I uh, played in Massachusetts before that. Charlie, I don't know if you know much about Northeast football, uh, high school football. It's not great. The competition is not great. It's not big time like it is down here in Georgia and in the Southeast. So there's that. But when I'm watching tape, guys, I try not to look so much at the competition because I you, that, that happens sometimes. But I will look at the skill set, the talent the guy has, and he's got the arm, he's got the mobility, he's got the accuracy, he's got all those things. And a from all I've heard about him, and I don't know, I don't know the kid, but everything I've read and heard about him is that he is one of those guys that's just a grinder, a student of the game, hard worker behind the scenes. You know, when your best player is your hardest worker, that's a sign of greatness, right? Like you want that. That, that That's really good for you, the culture of your program. And he, from all accounts, is that kind of guy. And the story for him goes, like he, he, you know, how did we get involved with this guy from Connecticut, right? Well, he came down this summer a couple of times and worked out for the coaches personally here in Athens and when he did that he shot up our quarterback board. And I know we had some big names that a lot of you guys are really high after whether it was Dylan Rayola, whether it was Julian Sam, all those guys. And my understanding what I've been told is that once our coaches laid eyes on him in person, he did, and he worked out for them that he if he did not shoot all the way to the very top of our 2023 quarterback rank, our 2024 quarterback recruiting rankings our board, he was very 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 close to it. But what I've basically been told is that he was the guy. Like, he was the number one target. I know Julian Sane's a five-star. Everyone's big on him. I think he's a good player. Don't be me wrong. He's a very good player. I think we could have had Julian Sane if we wanted to. But this is the guy that we wanted. This is the guy that we targeted when he came down here, and he opened our eyes, and we wanted him. And his rating is going to go up, guys. Trust me. Now, he's committed to Georgia. It's the Bama bump, right? People always complain about the Bama bump. Well, part of the Bama bump is some of these guys aren't aren't as well-known. People aren't paying as close attention to them. But when Bama evaluates a guy, these recruiting writers, they put stock in Bama's evaluations, and they're doing that with Georgia now too. He's going to have more eyes on him, more people are going to pay attention to him when evaluating him. He's going to go to some camps, I, I would imagine, this summer. He's going to get in front of all these guys who do rankings, and he's going to shoot up the rankings. I don't know if we're going to be in a five-star. I don't know. All I know is our coaches are fantastic evaluators, and I trust them in this. I trust them more than I do some recruiting writer who watched a minute and a half of his tape and said, okay, 3 star all right that's just the reality here and when I watch with my own two eyes I see I didn't get to see him in person but I see a lot of the same things that I think our coaches saw as well um now Roger now are we gonna take another quarterback we could take another quarterback but I think this is the guy that we wanted Roger Robinson is a running back from California he was committed to UCLA we were able to flip him last week and he's a guy I really want to see his senior tape okay so he's in the 2023 class this class right now he's our first and currently our only running back uh, commit on the on the List right now. He's a big guy, 6'1, 230. And at that size, when you look at him play, like he should be a power back. You would match or at least be able to run with some power, some physicality. But he doesn't necessarily really show that on tape because he doesn't have to. It's kind of a level of competition thing, like I mentioned with Puglisi, because he's just run through massive holes, like Mack truck sized holes. And he doesn't have to run with power. I think he can do it. I just haven't seen him have to do it, at least in the highlights that we've seen. I haven't seen full games, so there's that. But uh, I really would really like to see some senior tape on him because guys grow a lot from their junior to their senior. They get a lot better. They get faster. They get bigger. They get stronger. They just improve. So I want to see that before I have like any like hardcore judgments on him. But you know, based off what I've seen so far from the junior tape, the sophomore tape, he does not have elite top end speed, but he's got really really good footwork. He's got great short area quickness. He's also a really fluid athlete. Like, he moves well, just not like at elite top end speed, but. I really like what I see from him. I think he can be a really good back for us. Um, but again, I want to see that senior tape before I give you like my final evaluation of Roger Robinson. And Charlie, is it cool if I have your permission? Can we do one more ad read here real quick? Absolutely. All right, Alumni Hall, guys. I hope that a lot of you had a chance to check out the meet and greet with the current Georgia players. A lot of people there, a lot of fun. A lot of families were having a great time on Sunday. But even if you missed that, it's okay Alumni Hall is still there, and they still have the best selection of Georgia gear anywhere you're going to find, and I really want to emphasize today, guys, the Hall Pass Rewards Program. I am a, uh, I've told you many times, I'm a connoisseur of Georgia gear, and Alumni Hall is my, my retailer of, of choice. And I have racked up so many points on their Hall Pass Rewards program. So it's real simple, guys. For every $150 you spend, and guys, you spend $150 real quick when you go in there because they have so many incredible things. It's almost hard not to spend $150. You get $10 in rewards points. And you can use that for your next purchase. So it's a fantastic deal, guys. They appreciate your loyalty and they want to show you some love in return so that's one way they are just the best out there there's no doubt about that and uh, make sure you check them out right now guys they have a lot of new stuff the fall apparel is coming in stock the weather is turning and charlie um i gotta run tomorrow tomorrow morning have you taken a look at the temperature tomorrow morning cold oh beautiful charlie 39, 40 degrees, there is no better running weather on earth. Nice, crisp fall breeze. And so it's here, guys, it's at least for a couple weeks. So make sure to check out their new fall gear and uh, hook yourself up. So make sure to check out Alumni Hall in person inside the Epps Bridge Shopping Center here in Athens or online at alumnihall.com because Alumni Hall is where the Bulldog shop.
2: You're a podcast listener and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.
1: And we saved the hottest topic in college football for last today. We're going to close out with a series of questions about Saturday's Alabama Tennessee game. You all saw this one coming. The first question comes from Falcon's hate account. He says that we had a great outing against Oregon, but we haven't looked consistent since, especially in the first half when the lack of depth hasn't hit opponents. Um, he doesn't, or she, doesn't think we are built to score like Bama did on Saturday or to be able to slow down Tennessee with a young defense. What's your take? <clears throat>
0: I, I understand where you're coming from, Falcons hate account. I get it, because Tennessee's good. I mean, I told you guys back in the preseason this is going to be the best team on our schedule. I did not have it. I need to readjust like my uh, game rankings, like what's the most difficult game, because I had them at number three because this game was at home. But I told you guys, I thought this was going to be the best team on our schedule. Tennessee is better, even better than I thought they were going to be. I thought they would be really good on offense, but they're, they're operating at a level that's... I don't want to say it's 2019 LSU-type level offensively, But, I mean, they're about as productive. I mean, they have some dynamic receivers. They have a quarterback that is a perfect fit for this system, who's dynamic running the football. He can push the ball vertically down the field. And um, they're just, they're hitting on all cylinders right now offensively. They are very, very dangerous. They run the ball well. They spread the field. So there's not as many guys in the box. It's a very, very tough offense to handle, just like the LSU offense is a tough offense to handle. And and I will give them credit. They keep their best players, the best receivers on the field almost the entire time, which is something LSU did, which I've been saying that we need to do more consistently. But, you know, people don't want to listen to me. It's okay. Whatever. Um, But yes, Tennessee is very, very good. But I will try to talk you off the ledge a little bit here. And I told you guys this last week when I was doing our SEC power rankings, Offensively, our numbers are very similar to Alabama's. And I know there's one game that Bryce did not play, obviously against Texas A&M. So there's that. You got to put that in there. I mean, coming into last week, guys, I haven't looked at it this week because I don't know if he's updated them yet, but Bill Conley's SP Plus numbers, which so I put a lot of stock in. They're fantastic. Coming into last week's game, we were fifth in SP Plus offense and Alabama was fourth. So yeah, they're better than our offense, but statistically not by all that much. I mean, yes, they're more explosive. Yes, they've been a little bit more efficient, but I mean, they were averaging 7.49 yards per play coming into the Tennessee game. We were averaging 7.24. I get what you're saying. We haven't been as consistent. We've had a couple of like high-flying games where we had the Oregon game where we averaged 9.2 yards per play, and the South South Carolina game where we averaged close to 9.2. It was like something like that yards per play so those two games were fantastic Auburn we were also very efficient and got explosive offensively as well but there were some games you know against Sanford against Kent State against Missouri obviously where we didn't stub our toe but we just we weren't hitting all, on all cylinders offensively and there certainly have been those inconsistencies so I will grant you the Bama's offense is better than ours I just don't think like if we're hitting on, on, all, of, on all of our c- cylinders I don't think it's that much of a dramatic difference honestly between the Georgia offense and the Bama offense I know Bryce Young is Bryce Young he's fantastic and that's the difference but I mean, we're not that far off. Now, defensively, I do think that we match up with Tennessee far better than Alabama does for a couple of reasons. Number one, Bama's safeties just generally lack athleticism. Helms, battle, those guys got roasted all game long. I mean, Tennessee feasted on them. I mean, that, all those explosive plays that Jalen Hyatt was hitting, almost every one of them used matched up on a Bama safety, and they are able to scheme that up, and the Bama safety simply... Could not stay with him. Malachi Starks, on the other hand, playing safety for us, he is an elite athlete. He's an awesome cover safety, about as good of a cover safety as you're going to see in the SEC. And Chris Smith, while not the kind of athlete that Malachi Starks is, I think, in my opinion, is a better athlete than both Battle and Helms are in the back end for Alabama. We are also far more athletic at inside linebacker and we're better at cornerback. Now, we are not infallible at cornerback, but we're better there we need to like we're, we have better athletes there Kool-Aid McHenry is really good for Alabama outside of that they don't have a ton they're star defenders I mean Brian Branch Malachi Morb. those guys got burned a couple times as well I think Javon Bullard is a better cover guy from that spot Tyke Smith is not an elite cover guy but he does he does a really good job for us and run support so I just think we are better in our back end if you throw in all the guys in the secondary so I think that certainly helps us there plus there's this we do get Tennessee at home and I Don't think that's unimportant. I think that's actually a pretty big deal, guys. And that matters. It always matters. But I think it matters more against a team like Tennessee because their offense, which is the engine to their entire team, that's what makes them very, very good their offense is going to have to contend with the elements, namely the crowd noise, which they did not have to do against Alabama. And they also, vice versa, will not have the benefit of the opposing offense having to deal with the crowd noise inside Neyland Stadium. So I do think that's an important factor to remember here. I don't think you can discount that. I really, really do not think that. And then offensively, I think we can create some different matchup issues with our tight ends. I know Tennessee's actually been, they're terrible against the pass and we're not a dynamic passing offense. Maybe once we get some guys healthy, that will change but they've been pretty good against the run, but Bama does, they also don't have the tight ends that we have, and I think that we can use, honestly, this might be a game where you roll out some 13 personnel. I really believe that might be that situation where you do that and, and create some matchup advantage in the passing game with our tight ends, be able to run the football there, get some moving up front. I, I know Tennessee is good, and I they are very good. I respect them, but I think that we actually match up better than Tennessee. We'll get into this a lot more over the next couple of weeks. I don't want to go too hard into right now because I don't want to disrespect Florida because we do have to beat them right we need to beat the Gators got to beat them number one and then we'll get to Tennessee and guys we will have you a hundred percent cover some deep dives into this Tennessee offense this overall Tennessee football team
1: okay our next question comes from Mike and he wants you to break down the Tennessee Bama game
0: did you watch this game Charlie yep did you do what I did and came home and DVR'd it and just watched it into the night yes
1: I knew when I left the game that it was 21-7. I assumed that it was Bama. Oh, so you didn't know
0: who 21. was up. So you heard somebody no. say 21-7? Yeah. And you didn't know who it was?
1: I assumed it was Bama.
0: And, and you are watching the wrong. game? Yeah, you definitely assumed wrong. Um, did you think the Bama was going to be able to mount that comeback when they were down? I think they were down, was it? Yes. You thought they could make all the, was yeah. it 28-10 at one point? I think yeah. it was. You, you thought they were going to come back? I didn't know, yeah. man. I was like, God, the way it looked, and the way they were self-destructing the first half. Well, please break down the Tennessee-Bama game. Um, can I just say, start off by saying, Bama probably could not have played worse in the first half. Agreed. All Penalties, mistakes, dumb things.
1: The most penalized team in college football history. Se- 17.
0: That was the most that, in history? That's
1: what I read today. Yeah. Oh, I
0: haven't seen that. I haven't looked because I've still had some games to watch. So I've like been kind of a social media blackout. Uh, man, but 17 penalties for over, well over 100 yards. I mean, Charlie, if you cut that down by like, well, just, just- one, that pass interference in the end zone which I yeah. think was a phantom pass interference on the interception, which would have won the game. I, I, I'm I, sorry, guys. I, I mean, I, Obviously, I want Alabama to win that game, but I don't think that was pass interference. I think that, that was a very, very, very bogus call, but whatever. Um, they played very poorly. So there's that. That certainly helped Tennessee. And I I don't know if we're going to play our A game against Tennessee, guys, but, Charlie, can we at least say we're probably not going to play that poorly? I would hope not. You would hope not, right? But, I mean, it, to break down this game you know, in more detail, so Tennessee – defensively, clearly wanted to pressure Bryce Young. And they brought five and six guys. They brought six guys a lot. And they played man coverage behind it for the most part until late in the game. They started to get hurt with it a little bit, and they went to a little bit more zone. But for the vast majority of the game, they were rushing five and six guys almost every single snap, and they were playing man coverage behind it because they did not believe that Alabama receivers could consistently win in those situations. I told you guys in the offseason, I don't get everything right, but man, I told you, my questions about Alabama were twofold. Offensive line, receivers I did not think that they had the guys at receiver that they had had in years past and they don't guys they just simply don't they don't have those guys Jermaine Burton everyone thought well he was first team all SEC right yeah um nope told you that wasn't gonna happen and yeah you know again don't get everything right but that one was pretty obvious to me he was never that guy for us he was just not gonna magically become that guy just because Bryce Scherner was throwing him the football so they, they had some issues there. They could not win those those, those matchups in man coverage against Tennessee, at least not on a consistent basis. Now, what Bama got in that game offensively was really because Bryce Young's just a flat-out freaking beast. That guy's legit. I mean, he's the real deal. I love Stetson Bennett, but Stetson Bennett is not Bryce Young. I think we can all agree on that, right? And then go back to the receivers here. I mean, how many RPO slant routes did you see Alabama hit against Tennessee for like you know, 9, 10, 11-yard gains? Nice gains, first downs, move the chains, awesome. But with guys like Jamison Williams and Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle and Henry Ruggs and Jerry Judy, those same RPO glance routes that were going for 10 to 11 yards against Tennessee, those went for 50 and 60 to the house in the past four, five, six years. They don't have those guys right now. Bama's having to grind things out in a way they have not had to do for a while. And if you're not hitting those explosive plays, and that's what your offense has been built on, That that creates some problems there. Then offensively, Tennessee didn't, and they don't, guys. Tennessee doesn't really do anything crazy, exotic offensively. That's the misnomer with Tennessee. It's not the air raid, right? I mean, it is a version of the air raid. The air raid's not a complex offense, it's a very, very simple offense. In fact, what makes the air raid so crazy and so great is that it is so simplistic. It's beautiful in its simplicity. It really is. They don't do crazy, exotic things, they just have certain principles that they apply to the game of football, really namely playing in space, making defenses operate in space. And if you have elite athletes when you're making them play in space and the opposing defense doesn't really have those athletes that can match up, yeah, um, it's a problem. It's a recipe for 52 points. <laughs> that's that's what happens there. So what they do, they spread out Bama. They worked a lot from stack sets, especially Jalen Hyatt had him coming off a stack. Where he's behind another receiver and they couldn't get hands on him at the line of scrimmage because Jalen Hyatt's not a big guy. He's like six foot, 190 pounds. I mean, get your hands on him, he's gonna have a tough time breaking that that press at the line of scrimmage. But they didn't, Bama didn't press a lot because they honestly didn't seem to trust their DBs and man coverage, which they probably shouldn't have based off what we saw. But even when they tried to, at times they couldn't really press high. It and some of those guys, because they're in stack sets, you can't get your hands on them at the snap. So that that was a problem for them. And then Tennessee it was it was attacking their safeties in zone coverage. Bama played a lot of zone coverage in this game, and they were attacking and zeroing in on those safeties, as I mentioned earlier. And it's tough, like when when they spread the field the way they do with their wide receiver splits, it's really tough to get help because you're so far spread out and you're kind of out there on an island. And guys like. Jalen Hyatt, mainly Jalen Hyatt, to the tune of 200 plus yards, literally was just running right by Helms and Battle at safety all game long. It wasn't crazy exotic, guys. There was nothing fancy. He was just running by them, and they could not run with him. Bama had no answers because it was a personnel thing. They didn't have other. They didn't have better players. They didn't have better players to put back there and say, hey, you know, we, this guy can run with them. They just didn't have those guys. And Tennessee saw it and they exploited it and they did the same thing over and over and over again. Because why would you not? Bama simply. Could not stop. They identified it very early in the game, and they didn't stop doing it all game long.
1: Okay, Alexander wants to know your opinion on Tennessee's future and asks, can they su- sustain the success they've had this season and be a consistent threat in the SEC East? He doesn't think Tennessee um, will be more than a one-year wonder. He says that 20 of the 22 starters are draft eligible, and Hendon Hooker will be gone after this year um so they'll have a whole new team next year what's your opinion
0: yeah this is a really good question Alexander I think you're right about next year I don't think they will be an elite team next year because you're right they're gonna lose Hinton Hooker they're gonna lose a lot of draft eligible guys and they haven't been recruiting the way that we have Alabama has for years now they had a pretty good recruiting class this past year but you gotta stack a bunch of them on top of each other. Now, they might start doing that if they continue to play like this. They have a bunch of boosters who will pony up for NIL. They're kind of all in in a way that, I mean, we aren't really all in you know, with our, from a booster standpoint. So that will help them. But next year, they're not going to be as good. Now, the transfer portal certainly mitigates some things like that. It's all about quarterback. If they can go out and find a hidden Hooker in the portal like they did with Hooker, getting him from Virginia Tech, then, yeah, they could be really good again because the quarterback position is such a critical position all of football, especially in this offense but I don't imagine that they'll be able to sustain the same level of success next year, but if they can parlay this year, and we will see how this, I mean, hopefully they don't win the SEC East or win the SEC, but God forbid if somehow that happens, if they can parlay that into some success on the recruiting trail, and they get a couple of years in a row where they stack these recruiting classes on top of each other, they could sustain it. I mean, it's, Josh Heupel is a good coach. Like, he's not um, a crazy person. Like, they've hired, they just had, they've hired, they had some really rough hearts. I don't know why they hired Jeremy Pruitt for recruiting, but Jeremy Pruitt was a hothead. Jeremy Pruitt is a, was just an uncouth um, son of a gun. Let's just say that. And he was not built to run a program. He's a good defense coordinator. He's not built to run a program. He's just not that guy. And obviously Butch Jones was just, you know, uh, Dan Mullen light, I guess. Dan Mullen without the offensive mastermind behind him, you know. So, um, but they finally hit on Josh Hypel, who is not an out, outstanding recruiter, but he, he he has an elite offensive scheme. And he's like his, I will say this for Hypel, his offense has worked at a high level wherever he's been, whether it was Missouri, you know, when Missouri first came into the league, whether it was a UCF, now at Tennessee, their offense, that offense is going to be good. I mean, now they the right kind of players, it could be like this level of elite like it is this year. I don't expect it to be that next year. But I, I do think Tennessee is going to be a threat for years to come. I don't think they'll be as good next year, but they could start to recruit. And um, build up some classes. That could be a, a program. That's uh, something to watch here over the next, you know, five ten years.
1: All right, we have one more question. Ben says the crowd at the bookstore was cheering hard for Tennessee on Saturday, giving him bad vibes. What's your take? I just
0: don't get that. Who are you um, rooting for?
1: I was talking to someone else. Is. Is Tennessee being good good for college football? Yes. What? Is it good for Georgia? Absolutely not. Why
0: is Tennessee being good at, co- good at football good for college football?
1: Well, the. More, you want more
0: teams, the more, more variety? More better
1: teams you have that are competitive. It's more interesting. Okay. It's more interesting. But is it good for Georgia? Absolutely not. And I was trying to explain this to people. I'm... And they understood it, but I just don't think they really care as much.
0: I think that's the thing. Because.
1: If you want Tennessee yeah. to win, we have to play them in three weeks. Mm-hmm. If we lose, we're not we're Tennessee not going to. Championship, yeah, like that's game.
0: not a, that's not a birthright for right. us. We have to earn that, and Tennessee is good. I, I don't I honestly I don't understand how. I, like, good
1: for them. They finally beat Alabama after what like fifteen years or something. Yeah, great. Good First for time them. In Sixteen but years, but yeah. it's not good for us. It,
0: you're right, Charlie. It's not. Like, I. I'm I glad
1: we're playing them at home.
0: Yeah. Yes, Charlie. That's. I honestly think, that's. Gonna, like I said, you can't discount that advantage. That's a huge advantage for us. I honestly, like, I don't want to tell people who what to do and who they can root for. I mean, who am I to say what you can do? Like, do what you want to do. But me personally, Charlie, I don't understand how a Georgia fan who actually cares about Georgia is rooting for Tennessee in that game. Yeah. I just don't get it because there's a couple reasons. Number one, yes, we need Tennessee to lose cause let's say that I mean, God forbid, knock on wood, like let's say that we somehow end up losing to Tennessee at home and that's the only game we lose. Well, it would be really nice if Tennessee would have lost to Alabama and then somehow screw up somewhere else against, I don't know, like a Kentucky or something like that. Now, they're probably going to be all those teams. They're better than all those teams. But I still not, I'm still not sure that Tennessee is not – I'm not sure that they're good enough defensively to just roll their hat out there and say they're going to win every game they play. I mean, guys, this is a team that went to overtime to beat Pitt, who also lost to Georgia Tech. So – there's that. I know they just beat Alabama, and that is awesome. Good for them. And that's a big time win. Like that's impressive. That's very impressive. But that doesn't that also, I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean that they don't have a game then where they can lose to an inferior opponent. You know, we, we almost lost to Missouri on the road. So there's that. I'll throw that there. Tennessee losing that game to Alabama just certainly would have helped our chances to make the SEC championship game. And making the SEC championship game helps our chances of making the casual playoff. You just I don't think you can you can ignore that. I really don't. And then number two. Tennessee, guys, like Alabama is Alabama. They are already a superpower. We know that. We already had to contend with them, recruiting against them, all of that. Do we really want to oh, another team in the SEC? to develop into a superpower and to realize their potential? Because that just means more competition on the recruiting trail. Is that really good for Georgia, as you're saying, Charlie? In my opinion, no, it's not good for Georgia. In no way is Tennessee winning that football game a good thing for Georgia. And I just simply cannot wrap my head around how a Georgia fan who actually cares about Georgia and wants us to win a national championship and get back to the SEC championship game was rooting for Alabama. I know that Alabama is like the evil empire, and like on principle alone, some people just like, reflexively, just start rooting against Alabama, but use your brains, guys, like, Tennessee win that game was not good for us, it was much better for us, for Alabama to win that game, so, I mean, yeah, I I wasn't at the bookstore, I was in the game, but I just, man, I, like, I don't know, like, I I don't know why you'd be cheering for Tennessee, again, do what you want, I just don't understand why you would do that, I think you're right, Charlie, if you're invested in, in Georgia, like you and I are, you're probably cheering, you're probably cheering for Alabama that game, but for people who just hate Alabama, and like, on instinct want them to lose I guess I get why they're cheering but I don't I don't know man that just doesn't make a lot of sense to me but all right guys that's uh that's it for us we got a lot more for you guys later on this week I'll be back on Wednesday night and I will uh, be taking a a look at the rest of the games here on this stretch run a quick look at each of these games Had some questions about them, so I thought that might be a fun episode to do during the bye week. And then Charlie will be back with me at the end of the week for our picks of the week. Even though there's no George game, there's still a lot of college football games going on, and we're going to have some picks for you guys, try to help you guys win some money with my bookie. But thank you for being here, guys. We always appreciate you. For Charlie, I'm Tyler, and as always, go dogs.